Chapter 12 of The Green Millennium. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Jay Salem, Las Vegas, Nevada, July the 6th, 2021. The Green Millennium by Fritz Leiber. Chapter 12 It couldn't have been three minutes since Phil's capture, yet it seemed he had been listening to Mr. Billig for years. He was sitting apprehensively on a stool in a long low room to which he had been conducted by two men in sober sports togs, obviously a cut above company guards, whom Mr. Billig addressed as Harris and Hayes. Along one of the long sides of the room were windows and a doorway leading onto a balcony of some sort, beyond which yawned perplexing darkness. Harris and Hayes stood behind Phil while Billick paced in front of him. Just now, the voice that was like a tape played at triple speed but not so high-pitched was saying, Have you ever pictured ten million dollars concretely? Think of it this way. A yacht on the Amazon. A bubble-dome cabin. Your private copter. A blonde. A brunette. A redhead. And yourself, absolute monarch of a very interesting microcosm. Doesn't it appeal to you? But I didn't take the green cat. Phil replied quickly. Billig's speed was catching. I don't know where it is. What do you want, then? Billig demanded. Or like most people, are you afraid to say? Tell me, I've heard everything. Phil opened his mouth, thought of Lucky, and said nothing. Hit him, Harris, Billig ordered, and don't be all day about it. Pain bounced like a steel ball back and forth inside Phil's skull at Harris's dispassionate swipes. At the last one, Phil felt his head go numb and his thoughts glassy. Harris's bank cashier face swam out of sight to be replaced by Billig's smooth mask with its lurking host of wrinkles. Billig produced the gun he had been carrying when Phil was caught. He informed Phil, I propose to cut your limbs off. One by one, the beam burns, which keeps you from bleeding too fast. All Phil's glazed mind could think was how ludicrous the word limb was. He wondered if Billig considered him a tree. Billig's head persisted in circling Phil like a small planet, though that may have only been the room swimming. Suddenly, Phil stuck out an arm. All right, he informed Billig. Begin with this. Don't hurt the leaves. Billig lowered the gun. You hit him too hard, he told Harris or else he likes it. There are other kinds of pain. Where's Brimstein? I told him he only had two minutes to find Jack. Hayes, frisk this man. Slim fingers rippled through Phil's pockets and tossed Billig commonplace items. When the hand went for his right-hand pocket, Phil had a belated memory and made a move to prevent it, but Harris grabbed his arms from behind. Hayes carefully handed Billig the figurine of Mitzi Ramadka in black off the bosom frock. Billig rattled softly to Hayes. I swear this is Mary What's-Her-Name's work, the girl who used to do striptease dolls for us. She always had a touch and now it's got better. He fingered the doll delicately, studying the reactions in Phil's face. You want her? he asked suddenly. 
Would it pain you to see her hurt? He made as if to wring the doll's head off, then quickly set it on a table beside him and threw up his hands. Where is Brimstein? Here, the latter announced, hawking into the room like a bear in a great hurry. I've located Jack, and we've caught the girl the three hep jerks blabbed about. She lined herself up with the dress display robots and might have passed herself off as one, but she sneezed. Mitzi was marched into the room, her hands twisted behind her by Dora, whose face wore a disdainful smile that now seemed spiced with cruelty. The analyst's daughter had lost her evening cape, and her long dark hair hung half over one eye. She held her chin up as one who has struggled, found it no use, yet not really submitted. She saw Phil and looked away from him proudly as if her being caught had wiped out the problem into which he had plunged her. Are the original, Billig observed, looking up from the figurine, which he deftly pocketed. Darling, he said, walking toward Mitzi, would you care to be featured in a coast-to-coast -coast living ads or sit for a line of ultra-deluxe dress display robots? Would you like to be a handy star, ambassador to Brazil? Or become my girl Friday and be in on everything interesting that goes on in the world? Would you like to take $10 million? Just tell us what you've done with the green cat. Mitzi answered the five-second barrage with a shrug of her upper lip. Darling, I'm serious, Billy assured her. This is a lifetime opportunity and you're a very nice girl. And he made as if to caress her shoulder affectionately, but instead whipped around to catch Phil's reaction. Jack Jones ran into the room and whisked to a stop. He glanced at Phil as if he didn't know him and then saluted Billig sardonically. What are you standing around for? Billig demanded. Get to work. Hayes, I want those hep jerks in here. Phil tried to squirm away from Harris's seemingly casual grip, and then Jack's fingers were digging at nerves, and pain was not a steel ball but a fiery plant's red-hot roots and million rootlets finding an instant way through every crevice between the cells of his body. He heard himself squealing. Romadka! Romadka! The pain lessened and he babbled swiftly. Dr. Romadka stole the cat. I saw him coming out of the room where the cage is, carrying his black bag. The cat must have been inside. Who's this Romadka? Billa whipped at him. An analyst, Phil gasped. Weakly, he nodded at Jack Jones. He can tell you all about him. I never heard of the man, Jack asserted instantly. You did, Phil mumbled desperately. You saw how he was after me tonight. You must have guessed he was after the green cat. Jack shook his head curtly. He's making it up, he assured Billy. Across the room, Brimstein put down the phone and called to Billy. Vincent says Greeley's acting cool as they come. Still confident the raid will start when he said. Well, don't freeze, Billy grabbed exasperatedly at Jack. Get back to work on him. As the small, terrible hands approached, Phil looked imploringly at Mitzi. Dr. Anton Ramadka is my father, she said coldly, reputed to be a great psychoanalyst. This hysteric you're wasting time on is one of his patients. Darling, why didn't you say so before? 
Billy asked her joyfully. Dora let go of her wrists at once. The violet blonde complied with a cynical hop of her slim eyebrows. Darling, it escaped my mind she was still doing that. I'm sorry, Billy assured Mitzi as he glided toward her, his feet moving almost as glibly as his tongue. Darling, it's very clear to me now. This hysteric, as you accurately describe him, stole the cat on your father's orders and handed it to your father, whom I can see you don't like and who probably forced you to come along. Now, just tell us where your father is, or where you think he is, darling, and you'll have not one, but all of the things I mentioned to you a half-minute back. My father hasn't enough skill to burgle a banana-vending robot, Mitzi snapped to him. You're as stupid and conceited and unbalanced as all men, only faster. You think, because something clever has been done, a man must have done it. My father's a rotten analyst but you could use a few sessions with him. Darling, we're not going to get anywhere if you talk that way, Billig assured her laughingly. Realize it, darling. You're among friends and well-wishers. And he took her arm with a paternal amiability. Mitzi's right hand was a blurred arc and Billig sashayed back with four bright red lines on his left cheek. Grab her, Dora, Billig ordered. The violet blonde willingly wrapped her arms around Mitzi's waist and elbows. Mitzi avoided noticing it. Meanwhile, Billig was rapid-firing. I assume she was disarmed, Brimstein. Get those claws off her. Brimstein grabbed Mitzi's right hand around the knuckles with one of his big paws and began to jerk off the needle-fang thimbles. Billig waved off Harris, who had let go Phil to offer to minister to his boss's dripping cheek. Billig paced back toward Mitzi. Darling, he said, and for once the words came slow. You're really wonderful. You're just the sort of charming vixen the sadisto hackers dream up to torture the hero. But tonight, I'm afraid you're going to have to reverse roles. Phil's mysterious inward tormentor, who had made him go up against Mo Brimstein at the Akeleys, now got to work again, and despite the weakness of his pain-threaded muscles, forced him to a staggering rush at Billig, meanwhile calling out, Don't you touch her! Naturally, Jack tripped him, caught him by the collar almost before he had painfully smashed into the flooring and slammed him back onto the stool. At that moment, Hayes and four or five other men, the latter in the company guard costume of the half-headless man, marched a banged-up Carstairs, Llewellyn, and Buck into the far end of the room. Carstairs, who now had blood as well as hair trailing down his forehead, looked steadily at Mitzi. Thank you for this, Mitz, he said rather quietly. Llewellyn and Buck each nodded his head. You take it for granted I skunked on you? Mitzi asked. None of the three acted as if they had heard the question. Phil, watching Billig, noted a very slight shiver, smile, and widening of the eyes, although the boss man of Fun Incorporated wasn't looking at anything in particular. Take those boys down to the company garage, Billig called to Hayes, keeping his slashed cheek turned away. I'll phone your orders about them in fifteen seconds. Then, as Hayes and the guards, Jumped to obey, Billig said to Mitzi in a voice just loud enough to reach Carstairs. Thanks again, darling. That was a nice job.
Carstairs had time to give her one last deadly look before he was hurried out with the others. Come on, everybody, Billick said gaily. We're going to have a little show. Darling, would you like to take my arm? I've quite forgotten that left hap. If you promise to be a good girl, I'll tell Dora to let go of you. Mitzi made no reply, but Dora unwrapped her arms with lazy reluctance. Come on, darling, Billy entreated, starting for the balcony. Mitzi didn't look at him, but she walked at his side. He didn't try to touch her. They moved fast. Billy looked back over his shoulder. Hurry up, everybody, he ordered exasperatedly. Stop acting slow motion. Brimstein, Dora, and Harris quickly fell in behind them. Jack brought up the rear with Phil. I had to do that, Jack whispered in Phil's ear. I couldn't fake it and trust you to fake reactions well enough to fool Billy. But for God's sake, don't spill anything more about Ramadka. I know you're Juno's lover. Well, Ramadka made me bring him here. His friends are at the house. They'll kill Mary. And Sachevero. Juno and Cookie, too, if he gets caught. As Phil was trying to formulate some sort of answer to this, they followed the others onto the balcony. Its railing was split by a gateway, from which a metal stairway projected down and out into the darkness, its first dozen treads glimmering faintly. Without warning, Mitzi left Billig and darted down the stairs, taking them three at a time. Harris lunged after her, but Billig stopped him with a gesture. She's doing what I want, he explained softly, and five times faster than if you dragged her. Won't you ever understand the speed I need? Brimstein was closely watching Mitzi, who was now no more than a glittering moth flitting through a duller darkness. She can't see the steps anymore, he said with professional admiration. That girl's good. Billig shrugged and stepped to a control panel in the railing. He picked up a phone, then paused thoughtfully as if he were making sure that it was a full fifteen seconds since he had spoken to Hayes and not a mere twelve or thirteen. Hayes, Billig said, and then whispered rapidly. He paused for a moment, writhing his eyebrows as though Hayes were being unbelievably slow in catching on. Of course, of course. Then Billig touched a button and blinding light transformed the darkness into a huge, empty gray garage, its floor some thirty feet below the balcony. There were all sorts of lines and signs indicating which way cars should move and park, only there weren't any cars. There were also a dozen open gateways in the gray walls, eight of them marked exit. The silvery stairs down which Mitzi had flown touched the center point of the garage's vast floor. A few paces away from that, Mitzi stood tiny and stock still, as if blinded by the light. Somewhere far off, an electric motor was revving up. Ladies and gentlemen, Billig said to Dora, Brimstein, Harris, and Jack, but mostly to Phil, this is the place where people park their cars while they watch the wrestling bouts. But now the wrestling's over, and the cars are gone. He delicately touched his cheek, where the four furrows had almost stopped bleeding. So now we can have the place for our little show. Mr. Gish, I must have the green cat. I believe you value that girl's beauty in life. But Phil, whose arms were gripped hard by Jack from behind, 
hardly heard him. He was watching Mitzi so intently. She seemed to come out of her daze suddenly. At any rate, she darted toward the nearest open gateway. Dark, close bars shot down and blocked it, as they did all the other gateways Phil could see. He looked at Billig and saw his dark fingers lifting from buttons. He looked back at Mitzi and saw her hesitate, and then run back toward the silvery stairs. Billig touched another button, and the stairs retracted, telescoping upward. Mitzi stood on the gray floor, all alone. The revving of the unseen motor grew louder. Billig leaned over the guard wall and looked thoughtfully at Mitzi, as if he were a cleverer Caligula, a more practical Nero. Then he turned back and took the figurine of Mitzi out of his pocket and spoke to Phil. Mr. Gish, he said, I seriously want to know where the green cat is or where your Dr. Romotka has taken it. Otherwise, how would you like this to happen to her down there? And he jerked a leg off the figurine. Phil could see the twin ragged cones of wax where the leg had parted. Or this, Billy jerked off an arm. Or this, or this. At that moment, an open-top black jeep came accelerating out from under the balcony. Phil saw there were three people in it, though for a moment he couldn't tell who. But Mitzi darted toward the car, calling out excitedly, Car stairs! The car came on. You're wonderful, Mitzi called. But then suddenly the car came forward faster and faster and straight toward her and she had to dive out of the way to keep from being hit. The car started to swing around in a great loop. Mitzi picked herself up from the harsh floor. Or this! Billy hissed at Phil, and he ripped the figurine apart at the waist while one thumb made a smashed flatness of the tiny breasts. Now please tell me, where's this Dr. Romadka? I don't know, Phil yelled, struggling to get away from Jack, who maddeningly whispered in his ear. That's right. Don't spill a word. I'll remind you, Billy continued swiftly, taking something else from under his coat, that it's much worse for her or for anyone to be hurt by people she idolizes than by people she hates. So tell me about the green cat. Look here, this is an ortho. I can cut down that car any moment you tell me. But Phil, like all the others, was watching Mitzi. Having picked herself up, she didn't move. She simply stayed there facing the oncoming car. When it was so close that for an instant, Phil saw Mitzi's dark head against its chrome muzzle, it veered and missed her by a breath. Mitzi stood motionless as a statue, though her short skirt whipped out. Then she turned at the waist and watched the retreating jeep. Chicken, she jeered loudly. For an instant, everyone on the balcony was very still. Then there was a dull banging, and Phil realized that Mo Brimstein was pounding the railing and saying, I tell you, that girl's good. Yes, she is. Billig buzzed at him curtly. Brimstein stopped his applause, looking ashamed. But, Billig continued smoothly, turning to Phil, they're bound to get her sooner or later, unless... And he wiggled the large black gun he held in his small hand. So you better talk. The jeep swung around under the balcony in a much tighter loop and headed back, revving screamingly. Mitzi faced it, grinning, hands as light on her hips as before. 
Then, just as, from Phil's point of view, it had swallowed her up to the waist, she sprang to one side. Phil felt her foot must have brushed the tire. The jeep slammed through the air where she had been. Dumbbell! Mitzi screamed. Brimstein lifted his clenched fist above the railing, glanced at Billy, and with an effort dropped them to his sides. Phil realized his arms were numb. Jack was gripping them so tightly. Beyond Billy, Harris and Dora leaned forward over the guardrail as abstracted as gamblers. But Billy himself, though presumably a gambler, was neither still nor intent. Look, Mr. Gish, he said rapidly, I don't want to see this girl smashed up myself, and Brimstein here is figuring on starring her in a knife throwing or dodge the car act. This is probably the last chance you have to save her. Where's Ramadka? Where's the cat? Phil didn't even look at him. A phone light began to blink on the control panel. Billy ignored it. Where's the cat? he repeated. But all Phil could think as the black jeep turned very tightly by the far wall and as Mitzi pivoted to face it, all he could think was that this had happened before, in ancient Crete, where girls as slim-waisted and dark-haired as Mitzi had faced the black charging bull and dodged it, or vaulted or somersaulted over its cruel horns, their breasts as bare as Mitzi's, opposing the most tender thing in the world to the most terrible. The phone light continued to blink. The jeep finished its turn, Llewellyn and Buck leaning out to balance it like a sailboat, while Carstairs stuck steady as death behind the wheel. Then it shrieked toward Mitzi. She waited until it was almost as close as the time before, then sprang toward the left. Quickly, almost as if it were tied to her thoughts, the jeep veered left too. But Mitzi's feet slamming down after that first jump, didn't carry her further, but reversed her direction, carrying her back to the spot she first occupied. Again, the jeep slammed past her. Double dumbbell, Mitzi howled. The jeep, screaming into another tight turn, vanished under the balcony. There was a grating crash, then a sick, rasping sound, as if the jeep had sideswiped the wall but was still going. At the same moment, a dark-shouldered but pink-topped figure walked out rapidly from under the balcony. It was carrying a black bag. It stopped, leaned over, set the black bag on the floor, and opened it. The black jeep came out from under the balcony, limping but gaining speed. Something green and small stuck its head out of the black bag and looked toward the jeep. The jeep didn't stop, but it slowed, and car stairs, Llewellyn and Buck tumbled out and sprinted away from the green head as if from horror itself. The jeep continued, very slowly and haltingly toward Mitzi, like a blinded, badly injured animal. The pink-topped figure walked rapidly and mechanically back under the balcony, as if it didn't understand the why of what it had been doing. Belatedly, Phil realized it must be Dr. Ramadka. The phone light went on blinking. The green cat leaped out of the bag and lightly settled itself beside it. Stun it! Billy knifed at Brimstein and Harris. The green cat twisted its neck and looked up curiously. Brimstein and Harris looked at Billy 
and each took a step and peered down over the railing and stopped stock still. Behind them, Dora was as pale and quiet as a ghost. Then Phil felt it too, the same invisible golden wave of amiability and understanding as had quieted the quarrelers at Akeley's. But now, in a flood, a spring tide. Stun that thing down there, Billig demanded. The hidden wrinkles were showing themselves twitchingly on his face, and he was backing away from the railing as if he couldn't bear the golden wave. Brimstein started to reach inside his coat, but instead picked up the phone beside the blinking light. After a moment, he said quite casually, The rage begun, just as Greeley told us it would. The FBL are coming in everywhere. Stun it, I tell you. Get it somehow. It can save us, Billy ordered, frantically fanning the air in front of his face, as if to beat off the golden wave. Harris just looked at him. Brimstein slowly and puzzledly shook his head. Billig gave a shuddering gasp and clasped his free hand over his mouth and nostrils, as if the golden wave were something breathed in with the air, and fought his way to the railing. With the other hand, he raised the big gun until it was high above his shoulder. A needle of blue light jutted from either end of the big gun and made smoking trenches in the opposite wall of the garage and the wall behind them. Then Billick brought the gun steadily downward, lengthening the forward and rearward trenches. The air smelled acid, as if laced with ozone. The blue beam dimmed the bright lights and made everything shadowy. The green cat still looked up at Billick curiously. Billick didn't look straight back at it. The little muscles in his jaw and temple bulged around the hand clamping shut his mouth and nose. The forward trench dug itself across the wall and floor, swung drunkenly past Mitzi and the doddering jeep, got ten feet from the green cat and hesitated. It swung this way and that as if it had encountered a magic circle it couldn't pierce and stopped. Jack murmured, Sash was right. Billig gave a great gasp and began to squeal. The blue beams winked out. The gun clanked on the floor. The squeal changed to a clucking, and Billig swayed. Jack jumped to catch him. Phil sprang forward, and his fingers touched buttons he had seen Billig touch. The bars in the garage gateways shot up. Phil was on the telescope stairs almost before they began to move, and rode them to the ground through layers of stinging ozone and golden harmony. The jeep had trembled to a stop just short of Mitzi, who stared at it groggily, her whole figure slack, as if a puff of wind could have felled her. When the stairs touched the floor, momentum carried Phil forward a half a dozen steps. But he kept his footing and circled back at a run. When he plunged into the area between the green cat and the spot where the jeep had been abandoned, he felt a shiver of sudden and extreme terror which even as he felt it, began to fade. But he hardly had time to ask himself whether that was what had stampeded Carstairs and the rest for the next instant he was calling, Lucky! And Lucky was saying, Prick! And he was scooping up the unresisting cat, his fingers trembling 
as they touched the green fur, and darting back toward Mitzi and the jeep. Her groggy look had now become a day's smile of triumph and pride. He grabbed her by the elbow and pulled her toward the jeep. Get in, he shouted in her ear. We're getting out of here. You're driving. But little life seemed to come back into her as her hands touched the wheel. She kicked the starter as he scrambled in beside her. Lucky gently clutched to his chest. Which way? she asked thickly. Any exit gateway, he told her. With a rather wheezy hum, the jeep started toward the nearest gateway. Phil felt a thinning of the golden piece around them, as if, he told himself, Lucky were resting. The jeep, though, gaining a little speed, seemed to move as slowly as a school slideway. But looking back, he saw that the group on the balcony was still standing as motionless as dressedest play dummies with the power off, all except Billig, who was once again moving about rapidly. Get them! Phil could barely hear Philig's cracked voice implore as he darted from one to the other. Kill them! The jeep nosed through the high doorway and started up a ramp. Dora! Phil heard Billig yell. Grab my ortho and kill them! The effect of the golden wave must be wearing off, Phil thought, for just as the top of the gateway was cutting off his view, he saw the violet blonde stoop rapidly behind the guard wall. The next second, a blue beam flashed and smoke and starry splatter sprayed up just behind the jeep. The beam moved up and encountered the top of the gateway. It notched that, came a little closer to them, and then was stopped by the thickness of the wall. The ramp turned, and Phil saw a half a dozen men in the fun incorporated company guard uniform. Two of them had drawn their guns, and the other four hadn't. They seemed to be arguing hurriedly about something. They turned and saw the jeep. The two with guns raised them, and the others reached for theirs. Then Lucky sat up on Phil's lap, straight as the statuette of Bast, and Phil felt him let go of another of those great golden invisible waves. Phil could tell the moment it hit the guards from the sudden change in their tough faces. They watched the jeep with awe and incredulous grins as it went past. Farther on, they found themselves approaching an expanse of gray-cold light against which a party of some twenty heavily armed men was partly silhouetted, although they were advancing warily along the walls. They were carrying guns, nets, sprays that could swiftly immobilize men in plastic cocoons and what looked like bird cages. They leveled their weapons, but once again and mightier than ever, so mighty that it made Phil shiver with understanding. The golden wave rolled forward to engulf them. Once again, the jeep glided past astonished, troubled faces that smiled in spite of themselves. As the jeep rolled out into the cool, shadowy dawn, Phil stroked Lucky's soft, springy fur and murmured, Little peacemaker, you even gentled the FBL. Lucky looked up at him coquettishly and then yawned tremendously and curled up on Phil's lap. The feeling of golden harmony subsided until only a ghost of it lingered. I know, Phil said, you're tired from so much peacemaking. 
he suddenly felt extremely tired himself. Yet he went on to say in slurred syllables, Lucky, I don't care whether you come from Egypt, Russia, or the jungles of the Amazon. You're good for the USA. End of chapter 12